Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Night here at Summit Church. My name is Mel Massingale, and I'm so glad to have you guys with us. We also know there's some of you that are watching online. Um, and we just are grateful that you've taken time to uh, grow your leadership, no matter where you are, uh, whether you're part of Summit or not. We appreciate you taking time to try to improve your leadership and get better. Um, and if you're new to Leadership Night, we do this the first Wednesday night of every month. And basically what we do is we'll take a leadership topic, we'll unpack it together, talk through it. And then for about the first half, that's what we'll do. And then for the second half, what we try to do is just do some Q&A that hopefully will contextualize what we're talking about so that it'll help you in whatever context you're in, in your organization, in your home, in church, whatever it might be. So that's really what we try to do. Um, And we've got these archived. So if you want to go back and listen, they're in our uh, Summit podcast, you can find them on there. Um, you can find the videos. The, probably the easiest place to find the videos is Facebook, I would imagine. That's a pretty easy place to find them. So um, there's, there's uh, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 of these available you can go back and listen to. Sometimes we'll interview people. Um, sometimes we'll just get up and share something, um, something from my experience or something I've read. And so tonight, um, there was something I read last week that, um, that I want to share some thoughts with you guys from, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But before we get started, let me pray real quick, real quick, and then we'll get going. Lord, thanks so much for this day. Thank you for the people that are gathered here and uh, at the summit and those that are watching online as well. I pray your blessing on our time together. I pray that it would be fruitful. I pray that we would grow in our leadership, that we would um, recognize how to see leaders more effectively, how to see them better. Uh, I pray that you would help us get by our own biases, our own preconceived ideas about what leaders look like so that we can identify and ultimately raise up high-capacity leaders in our organizations, in our homes, in our churches, whatever it might be. So God, I pray that you would bless our time together. I pray that you be glorified in your name. Amen. So uh, tonight, I want to share something with you. There's an organization called GH Smart. And uh, it was an organization that was founded by a a guy named Jeff Smart uh, back in 1995, and he decided that he wanted to uh, create a firm that would help do leadership coaching for uh, for organizations, and now they do leadership coaching for Fortune 500 companies. Um, They help companies identify advancing and growing leaders in their organization, Um, and that's what they do. That's, That's their business. And they released an article this last week that I thought was so fascinating because it went through a lot of their um, data that they've compiled over the years, and they've done some long-term studies within a couple of Fortune 500 companies to help them identify, like, basically some, some thesis they had where they said, we believe that if you focus on these things, you can identify high capacity leaders. Um, and then they let that play out over the course of a couple of years, and it just being able to see where those people they identified ended up at, where they didn't end up, where they did end up, was pretty fascinating. Um, and so we won't get into all the numbers today, but I want to look at some of the some of the things they identified as important to um, to identifying leaders, because that's something every organization struggles with to some degree or another, is, is being able to look at your teams and say, who are the leaders in our teams? 
Because one of the things we normally default to, and this is natural, is we default to performance. Who, who performs? Um, depending on your context, um, one of the things I talk to churches a lot about is that unfortunately for churches, we default to faithfulness. So if somebody shows up, then that's 90% of leadership in churches a lot of times. If somebody shows up, then they're gonna be a leader because they're here all the time. We know they'll, we can trust them. Hey, they can run the nursery because they're here all the time. We don't ask, are they a leader? <laughs> but we say they're here, so let's put them in charge. Um, and that's a mistake churches make, but sometimes we make it in the corporate w world as well. Hey, this person shows up, they're not gonna hurt us, we'll put them in a leadership position. And so what... What this company did is they attempted to figure out, okay, what is really important? Um, because again, one of the things we identify is performance. We look at past performance, and you've probably heard me say this, the best indicator of future performance is past performance. And I'm, I'm a wholehearted believer in that. Um, but one of the things they try to do is go beyond performance because performance is really important. But what past performance will tell you is if they can do this job again in the future. What this what it doesn't tell you is, can they do a different job? So if somebody's done a great job in a manager's role and you've got a different manager role for them, you can assume if they did well in this, they could probably do okay on this. Um, but what if you've got a totally different role for them? Well, this tells you what they did well here, but it does not tell you if they can perform in a different role. Um, and so one of the things this company is trying to get down to is uh, stop focusing on past tra track records, stop focusing on past performance and start focusing on things uh, that are more tied to behavior. Um, we do a, have a lot of tools in our world. I mean, if I asked you guys, uh, how many of you guys have taken the disc before? How many of you taken the Enneagram? How many of you taken the, I mean, gosh, there's a million, life languages. I mean, there's a million of them. How many of you have taken a personality profile in the last five years? Okay, a lot of people in the room. And I'm sure, assuming everybody who's watching online is raising their hand as well. We all have. And, and what companies do a lot of times is they put a high profile or high, high value on personality profiles. Um, and personalities, this is gonna sound weird to say it this way, your personality can change over time. Um, I've known people that were introverts in high school that become extroverts. Um, but value-based behavior doesn't change as regularly. Now again, people can have shifts in their lives, but at the end of the day, um, the way we behave, the way we value, is, is, it's a key indicator for us. Um, so again, let's not just look at what people have done, what their performance has been. Uh, we need to start looking at things like, um, what, what haven't they done? Um, we need to be able to look at people early on in our organization and say, hey, is this somebody who has high potential before they've really done very much? Uh, how much better would our organizations be if somebody was new to your team or new to your organization and you could look at them and go, hey, based on these traits, they could be a high capacity leader for us. Um, and so it's important for us to be able to identify that early, as early as possible. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is they talked about the fact that many times we, we miss things with people because maybe their performance hasn't been high, but we miss the fact that maybe they haven't had coaching, they haven't had mentorship, they haven't had opportunities in the past, and because they haven't had the opportunities, they haven't had the performance. And if you're just measuring performance, that's an issue. For me, um, 
the last church I was on staff at, it was a very large church, and I was given a role that I probably should not have been given, honestly. Um, uh, it was a role of oversight for a significant amount of people, um, not just in our church, but with our staff. And I had never, I didn't have the track record that said I should have been doing that. But somebody saw me and said, hey, um, his track record doesn't show me he can do it, but there's some intangibles that I believe he can. Now, they might've just gotten lucky because I don't think they were going through these three things we're gonna talk about tonight. But um, I'm fortunate because I didn't have some of the access to mentoring. I didn't have people developing me the way that, um, that I do now. And I was fortunate. So how do we do the same thing? So the three things are this. Let me jump into the notes. Um, the first thing, and you might have heard of some of these before, and we're not gonna expound a ton on all these, but uh, the first thing is CQ. It's cognitive quotient. Now, you've probably heard of IQ. You've probably even heard of EQ. Uh, IQ is intelligence quotient. It's your IQ test. It tells you how smart you are, allegedly, right? Um, the EQ is, is emotional quotient, like emotionally how aware of you are, are you and that kind of thing. And we'll come to that one in just a second. But um, they talk a lot about cognitive quotient. And what cognitive quotient is, the way these guys define it is, it's how someone leverages their intellect. So it's not just about knowing stuff, but it's how do I leverage what I know in real world uh, experiences? Uh, what does that look like? The second thing is drive quotient. Drive quotient was a new one for me. I'd never heard of that one before. Um, but basically, this is what motivates someone and how do they apply their energy. So how are they motivated and how do they apply that motivation into their lives? And then the third one is emotional quotient. And this is how they interact with the people around them. Um, and this is one that's probably the most popular in the world we live in today. You hear a lot of uh, talk in leadership circles about emotional quotient and to be a high capacity leader, you have to have a high EQ. Um, but one of the places we fall short and that I have in the past when I've talked about this is sometimes we stop when it comes to EQ, we stop with awareness. Are they aware of the people around them? And and really, these guys take it a step further and go, it's not just about awareness, it's about a lot more than that. So let me jump into some of the thoughts on these things. The first thing is the cognitive quotient, the CQ. Um, like I said earlier, a lot of times, organizations and hiring managers, uh, and I worked, I, I worked with HR directors for a couple of years when I was uh, helping, we helped start a church in Fort Worth, and I worked as a corporate recruiter. And um, hiring managers like, um, things they can measure. They like things like, um, what was your cumulative GPA in college? So what they're doing is they're trying to measure your intelligence, right? They're trying to figure out how smart was this person? Where did they go to school? Oh, they, they got their masters from Harvard. They must be smart because they're trying to measure how intelligent someone is, which is great. And I get that. And that makes a lot of sense. We want to be able to measure things. One of the problems is that doesn't measure what they do with their intelligence. It just measures how they do on testing. It just measures how they do in classes. It doesn't measure um, how they put their intelligence into action. Um, and so, so what happens is we gauge things like academic transcripts and uh, even personality tests, uh, which are more than just um, our feelings many times. Um, we even base it on interviews that are designed to kind of evoke 
how smart someone is, the questions we're asking, and you know, maybe we'll code it with things like, man, this person's really sharp, or they're, they're really on the ball, they're really, you know, whatever it might be. But what we're saying is this person is intelligent, which is great. None of us want idiots working for us or on our teams, right? <laughs> like none of us want that person on our team. We want people who have some intelligence. Because um, what happens is a lot of times we assume if somebody's smart, they're smart enough to figure out what we need them to do. Um, and that's, that's a problem because we've got to take it a step further than just intelligence. So to measure, to measure cognitive quotient, one of the things they, they tell managers and leaders and directors to ask are things like this. Um, this is the person that I'm evaluating, do they regularly step back from their tasks to see things from the perspective of their managers or maybe their manager's managers? And so what it's asking is a deeper question because an intelligent person can figure out how to, how to navigate a task. But somebody with, with cognitive quotient will not only figure out how to navigate a task, they're gonna be thinking about how does this impact the leaders around me? What is my supervisor, how would my supervisor respond to this? Or how would my supervisor's supervisor respond to this? Uh, it is a different level of thinking beyond just is this person smart? It, it just takes into account a broader dimension. Another thing they would say to ask is, when considering which path to take, do they uh, try to look around corners or anticipate the unexpected? So here's, here's the thing that I've realized just anecdotally. Good leaders will respond to stimuli. So when bad things happen, good leaders will respond to that. But great leaders will anticipate things happening. So great leaders will, will anticipate, hey, this might not stay, our economy might not stay great, it might be turning. So we need to be thinking about what does this look like? How does this impact our business? Um, hey, because the housing market is like it is, or it looks like it might be on a downturn, how does that impact our workforce? How does that impact our team? You know, that you're anticipating, you're not just responding when things happen. And this, this can be boiled down all the way to micro levels on your departmental teams as well, like looking at how things happen and trying to anticipate what could happen. Because again, um, what you're doing is you're preparing for the future instead of responding when things happen. Uh, next thing, the next question they tell to ask in the cognitive quotient is this, when making decisions, even small ones, um, do they ground their thinking in how they can create value for the team or for the organization? Uh, and again, it's broader thinking than the, the just the intelligence. Um, hey, how is this helping the overall team win? Um, and it was interesting, uh, before we got started tonight, Michael and I were talking about the value of the individual versus the value of the team, and can one be had without the other? And we can delve into that um, in just a little bit as well. But somebody with a high CQ will understand, high CQ, that makes me thirsty for some orange drink. Um, somebody with a high CQ will understand, hey, that my success outside the success of the organization is gonna be empty. Um, so it's gotta be both together. Uh, we'll see that again in a minute. The second thing is drive quotient, DQ. When we talk about drive quotient, it's easy, it's easy to, to default to a certain idea because we probably all know people who have a high level of drive. Uh, no matter what your business is, no matter what your organization is, we probably all know people who just know how to get stuff done. They get stuff accomplished. And it would be easy to go, man, that is the kind of person you want because they've got drive quotient. Well, 
Not necessarily. Just because somebody gets a lot done doesn't necessarily mean they have a high drive quotient. Uh, what it means is they've got a high drive. They, they want to excel. They want to perform well, which you could say about a lot of high-capacity leaders. Uh, just about every high-capacity leader I know, they want to excel. Nobody wants to fail, right? We all want to do well. You're sitting in this room. You're watching right now because you, you're saying, how can I win better? How can I do better in my role, in my role as a leader, a boss, whatever it might be. So it's not enough just to say we want to do better, we want to win. Um, there's got to be a differentiation. And that, uh, that differentiator is what are we doing with the energy? So it's, it's not just about maximizing my own performance, but how do I develop leaders around me? How do I raise people up? Um, how do I leverage the capabilities of others? Again, not just for selfish purposes, like, hey, I'm gonna use this person to make me better, but how do we leverage the capability of others to make the team better? Um, because if we understand when the team wins, I win, it is different than saying, I'm gonna get some stuff done because then my boss will be impressed with me and then I'll get the promotion and then, does that make sense? Um, so it's tied to people. Um, so, People with drive and people with high DQ, they both tend to be resilient. They both push through um, problems and issues and they bounce back quickly from them. So that's one of the things we look at as an organization. How do people bounce back from failure? So even in the interview process, we'll talk to people about, hey, tell me about your last failure. What was the biggest thing you've done lately that you failed at? Because uh, I wanna hear them talk through that and they'll talk to me about it and I'll go, okay. Like, what happened after that? What did that look like? How did you respond? Because I'm trying to get an idea because um, we're all gonna fail, we're all gonna blow it, we're all gonna mess up, but how quickly did you rebound from that? Uh, how resilient are you? That's really the question. Um, and so people that have high DQ um, they, and people that have high drive, both are typically pretty resilient. Um, but the dip, one of the biggest differences is um, the people with high DQ continually strive to improve not just as individuals, but to amplify results at the organizational level as well. Again, they come back to this idea. It's not enough for me to win. I want the organization to win as well. Um, because if I win, but the organization suffers, I'm gonna be out of a job at some point. Uh, my, my role is not necessary. And so it comes back to this idea that, hey, I still want the team to win. I still want the organization, the department, whatever it might be. Um, so that's a high value as a DQ is to value organizational success as well. And then the last thing is emotional quotient. Um, again, sometimes we default back to awareness is what we would call emotional quotient. Being aware of the people around you, being self-aware. Like I recognize my shortcomings. And it's easy to, to define a, a leader who is obtuse to their own feelings, their own emotions, and how their emotions impact others as emotionally unaware or low EQ. Uh, and we've all, we've all had bosses that had no idea that they would come in and cuss and scream and be mad or whatever it was. And I didn't have very many of those working at churches, thankfully. But, um, but we all had bosses that were terrible bosses and they had no idea that what, how they were acting impacted everybody in the organization. Um, they, had, they, were, they had a delusion that everything would be fine even if they acted a fool. Um, and it's because they had low EQ. So, but it's, it's partially self-awareness, but that's incomplete if we say it's self-awareness. Um, it's not just getting along with people. It's not just being able to read a room. Um, those, those skills are all necessary 
but that is, it's incomplete. So one of the things the folks at uh, GH Smart talk about is it's important to find people with a high EQ um, and the differentiators are significant because um, their research showed that individuals with high EQ are people that engage for impact. So they are looking for ways to um, have an impact in other people's lives. So they're not just aware of other people, but they're trying to leverage uh, this, this emotion, whatever it might be. As they read the room, they're not just doing it for selfish motivation. They're doing it to go, hey, how can I help this person get better through this? They're leveraging those things to, for the good of the other person as well. Because um, they're trying to, ultimately they're trying to use their influ- influence, I'm sorry, use their insights, what they discover, to influence the people around them for the greater good. Um, Negotiate outcomes, if you could say it that way. Um, People with high EQ are able to um, deliver difficult messages um, with courage and empathy is the way they describe it. Um, Any leader can deliver good news, right? I've never had a hard time sitting down with an employee and saying, hey, I just wanna let you know you're, you're getting a raise, right? That's easy, we all love that. Um, it's a much harder conversation to sit down with an employee and go, hey, I wanna let you know there's not gonna be a raise this year. Hey, we're a little tighter than we should be. Hey, your performance doesn't merit a raise this year, right? Like those are hard conversations to have. Hey, I need to correct you. And, and, an, and a leader with a high emotional quotient will be able to have really hard conversations with high levels of grace. So in scripture, I think a lot of you in the room uh, attend Summit to some degree or another. Um, I recognize you guys, and I'm sure a lot of you watch it online do as well. So let me get into this. Um, in, in John, the Gospel of John, at the very beginning, um, it describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. He was full of grace, he was full of truth. And this is crazy because we know people who are full of truth, but they have no grace, right? And we know people who have a lot of grace, but they don't, don't speak the truth at all. They're gonna tell you every good thing, but they're not gonna be honest with you about, you know, hey, how do I look? Today, when I, I came in, I had a meeting at nine o'clock and there were four of us in the room and Vanessa, who's sitting right over here, who I love, Vanessa. Uh, Vanessa was sitting next to me and I sit down and we're talking and Vanessa just reaches over and she's like, and she's swatting crumbs out of my beard. And I'm like, what? I'd sat there for like five minutes talking. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, you got something in your beard. And I was like, oh, it was biscuits from breakfast. And I was like, thank you. You're the only one who loves me, right? Because she, she didn't wanna be like, oh my gosh, she's got something in his beard, but I can't tell him. She was willing to speak truth, but she did it because she loved me. She was like, I don't want you walking around with biscuit crumbs in your beard all day. But the other two people in the room who will go unnamed didn't have any problem with that. They were cool with it. That's a problem, right? And so when we understand that by speaking truth, and if I can do it in a loving way, in a way that I'm trying to help them, um, that is the most gracious way we can speak truth to somebody. And, and a good leader understands that balance. Hey, I have to speak truth to them. I can't let somebody underperform. I can't let somebody not do their job because then it hurts the whole team. Uh, but I can also speak truth to them in love in a, in a way that's full of grace and uh, encourage them and give them some empathy as they're going through that. And so that's harder. It's, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Um, But these are the three things that they identified and said, okay, um, 
If, if a leader can, if you, we can identify these three things in a leader, no matter where they're at in the organization, uh, it, the numbers indicate that they're far more likely to advance. In fact, there was a study they did with about 1,500 employees in a Fortune 500 company that, um, that they interviewed these leaders. They were all different levels of the organization, and they identified these three things, these three traits in the people they were talking to, and um, the numbers were crazy how many people went from entry level to C-suite, like upper executive level, and they identified these three things. And they just said, that these three things are the most important things. It's not about where they went to college. It's not about uh, what advanced degree they had. It's about these three qualities. And if they have these three qualities, they're probably gonna be able to advance. They're probably gonna be able to move forward. Because even if they don't have the right skills, they're probably gonna be able to learn the skills. Even if they don't have the right experience, they're probably gonna gain it and be able to do okay. And so, again, they came back to these three traits over and over and over. So let me talk through just practically, how do we build these uh, in the people and the people we're trying to raise up? Um, so if you wanna build cognitive quotient for people, um, what are some things we can do? And I, I'm, feel free to add your own to these lists, but one of the things they talked about was have people attend meetings with senior leaders just to observe how they interact, what they do. Uh, and this is something I think a lot of us probably know, depending on your company and organization, you probably understand, hey, it makes sense to have people at lower levels in the flowchart sit in on, on meetings with people at upper levels of the flowchart. If we want them to see what it's like to be in this room, let's put them in this room. But we rarely do that. Um, and so one of the things they talk about is expose leaders with those three traits that are at lower levels of the organization, get them in bigger rooms, get them in situations where they can see higher level leaders uh, work and it's gonna broaden their perspective on the business. Um, another thing they talked about is uh, managers can also give employees assignments that require them to engage with other parts of the organization. So uh, instead of isolating them in one department, um, give them experience in some different areas and you can see how they perform and what it looks like. And again, if we're talking about past performance, we're giving people opportunities in different areas so that it can broaden their, broaden their perspective, uh, allow them to get some different levels of performance um, in the organization. And what happens is with, level, with leaders like that, if they've got these three traits and you can identify that, at some point they're gonna be higher in the organization, hopefully, and you want them to be able to under, understand the organization better. Um, I, wanna, I wanna be familiar enough with all of our departments that I can speak into them if I need to. But I don't wanna be so far in the weeds that everything has to go through me on every decision. Because if so, I'm gonna be the cap for the organization. We'll never grow beyond me. But I need to be able to speak into some of the parts in different areas. Uh, but I can't have exhaustive information at all either. So the people in your organization, if you have a desire for them to move up, you wanna give them a broad enough experience level that they can speak into some of those things as they advance uh, in the organization. A uh, third thing is this, encourage employees to participate uh, in industry gatherings. So for churches, like for us, it would be conferences. We would, I would tell some of our staff, you need to go gather with other people who do your job. Maybe it's a kids ministry conference. Go to a kids ministry conference because what happens is it gives them a broader view of the industry. It helps them see a bigger picture. Um, I like, for our church, I love being able to hire people who have come from bigger churches because they have a broader view on what church should be than if somebody 
If this is the biggest church somebody's ever experienced, it's harder for them to dream bigger. And so one of the important things for you to do with your teams is help them dream bigger, help them see a broader context. And one of the ways you can do that is by sending them to things like conferences or, um, or events where they can be around other leaders of different companies within their industry. Um, one of the things, and you might've heard me say this before, one of the things I talked to our staff about is I want you to be friends with somebody who does your job better than you at a bigger church because it helps us have a broader context and see and dream a little bigger than we would otherwise. So that's how you build a cognitive quotient. Uh, the second one, the DQ, not Dairy Queen, uh, drive quotient. Um, one of the ways they talk about developing that is uh, rotating aspiring leaders into different markets or areas of the business, uh, giving them bigger teams to manage, uh, stretching them a little bit when it comes to those things. He's, uh, one of the things he said is um, they, get to see, um, they get to see what they do to get themselves up to speed. So what happens when you don't know what you're doing? Put them in a position where they're a little bit in over their head and, uh, and it's trial by fire. Um, because what happens is you'll figure out, hey, when, when they don't know what to do, what are they gonna do? How are they gonna respond? When they're stuck, what does that look like? Um, and it's gonna help them grow. It's gonna help you have a better idea of where they're at because nobody's gonna be perfect at all three of these things. Let me say that, by the way. You, you might have somebody that's strong at one and they maybe are weaker at the other two. And those can be developed to some degree. Maybe you've got somebody who's good at two, but they've got one that's a little weaker. That's okay. You can help train them up, but it's giving them the experiences to, to strengthen that muscle. Because um, that's really what this is. These are like muscles that we have to work. Um, I, I jokingly, you know, we got Kendall Kersey on our staff and that guy works out all the time. And he's always like going, oh man, I worked out really hard. I'm so sore. And I'll always respond and go, that's why I never work out. I'm never sore. I never feel bad at all. I feel fantastic right now. I slept till eight o'clock this morning. I feel wonderful, right? Um, but the reality is I'm not working those muscles. Uh, so those muscles are losing strength that I'm not working. And the same thing would be true with these three things. If we're not working these muscles, we are losing strength. And you can help people work those muscles a little better. Um, second thing for, for DQ is this. Uh, do people wait to be told which skills to sharpen or do they proactively seek feedback on what they need to do and learn and how to go about it? Um, this is what maybe you'd call self-starter. Um, that somebody who, because uh, we've all had employees who you give them a job to do and they do the job and then they wait patiently somewhere out of sight for you to tell them what to do next and you have to go find them and go, oh, hey, what are you doing? Well, I finished the job. What are you doing now? I'm just waiting. Like, okay, well, <laughs> you can go ahead and go home for the day. I think we're good, right? Like that person, that's hard because they're not a self-starter. But if you have somebody who is looking to grow themselves and looking to get better and they're, they're hungry um, for mentorship, they're hungry for development, they're looking for opportunities to grow, that's probably somebody who has a high DQ. Um, but again, it's not just about personal growth and development. It's how can my growth and development benefit the organization, benefit the people around me. Uh, and the last one, to help high potential uh, candidates people build their emotional quotient, um, start with organizational culture. So if, you, if you've got a strong organizational culture, this is somewhere, something that, that is very helpful. If your organizational culture is not so strong, uh, then, then that hurts. Um, but when it comes to emotional quotient, 
within the context of an organization, um, it helps to talk about um, unwritten rules. What are the things we do or don't do that's not written down anywhere? Um, I, used to, I used to love baseball. Does anybody like baseball? A few of you? One of the things I hate about baseball is unwritten rules. So there's unwritten rules like um, you can't bunt to break up a no-hitter, which I think is the stupidest thing in the world. Because if my goal is to win, why can't I bunt in order to get on base if you are winning? Like, that's dumb. Um, if you hit a home run, you can't show up the pitcher by taking too long to go around the bases because the next time you come to bat, they're gonna put one in your ear hole. They're gonna pitch it right at your head. Like, that's stupid. If you just gave up a home run to me, I should be able to gloat a little bit, I think. Like, that's not fair, right? But unwritten rules are no good in baseball and they're no good in your organization either. And so it's really important to help um, new employees, but high, high capacity employees or team members who maybe um, don't know all the unwritten rules, don't set a trap for them. <laughs> Um, help them know what the unwritten rules are. Help them know what we do or don't do that it's not written down anywhere. Oh, hey, we never do that. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah. Oh, hey, we never take vacation on this day. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, hey, it's just known that we will never ever act this way. And here's what we do, here's what we don't do. Help your team understand those things. Uh, spell that out for them because that's gonna help them figure out how to engage other people well. Again, that's raising their emotional quotient. So, um, how do you handle conflict in your organization? What does that look like? Does the supervisor always have to handle it or do the people work it out themselves? Um, what does that look like? Again, sometimes that's not written out in a policy procedure manual. So you have to spell out what are the unwritten rules. Talk through those things. The second thing is this. Um, once they have a handle on the unwritten rules, um, task them with mapping their stakeholders, uh, the people that are influential, that are important to their role, their team, um, and make relationship building the priority. Um, when you prioritize relationship building, it, <laughs> you're either gonna see that EQ grow or you're gonna see them fail. Um, we had a, our, our newest staff member, Gil Ackerman, our youth pastor, who's upstairs with the teenagers right now. That's what I told him. We sat down before uh, he'd started and he said, hey, what are your priorities for me for the first six months? Actually, what he did is he sat down with me and he was like, here's my goals for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. I was like, awesome. And he's like, what do you think about these? And I was like, I don't like any of them. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I said, here's my goal for you. And I said, for the next six months, don't eat a meal by yourself. And he was like, uh, okay, how come? And I just said, well, because everything you need to accomplish in your job is contingent on relationships. Because if your relationships aren't good, it doesn't matter how well you perform. Your relationships are foundational for everything else. So get your relationships right and everything else will follow. Now, the, the problem is if we are high achievers, we wanna get more stuff done, right? Like, no, we, we wanna make hay, let's go. Um, and, and you have to have, especially if you have a high EQ, you understand relationships matter. Relationships are what give us longevity. Relationships are foundational for everything else. And so give them the job of building relationships. And again, depending on your organization, you probably can't do what I did. And I said, hey, take six months to get up to know everybody. But for you, you can still say, hey, I want you to know um, three facts about every person in the division. Uh, I want you to get to know, you know, two things that nobody else knows about, da, 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 da. And that sounds really nefarious to say it that way, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, the, the, the hidden um, 
the hidden uh, trivia, like, oh, this person appeared on Wheel of Fortune. We have a lady in our church that appeared on Wheel of Fortune one time. But like those kind of things, like, oh, I didn't know that because it's gonna dig in. You're gonna have to get to know people that way. So assign somebody to do that um, that's a high capacity potential leader. Uh, the last one is this. Um, introduce them to the tools and frameworks that are gonna deepen their understanding of how they're personally wired. This is where it comes back to some of those personality things we talked about um, just helping them be aware, but not just be aware but of themselves, but be aware of others as well. So we do use personality uh, profiles here. Um, we use the Enneagram for our staff a lot of times, and uh, it's never an excuse for bad behavior. Like nobody can say, well, I'm bad at this because my Enneagram number. Like we don't allow that, that's not how we do it. But what it does is it gives us some insight to be able to go, oh, hey, this person's relating to me this way because this is how they're wired. This is what they're like. So it, again, it helps us raise our emotional quotient a little bit because we have a better understanding of others. We have a better understanding of ourselves. So that's where those things are important. We give team members tools to raise their EQ. I just covered a lot of ground with you. Uh, if you signed up, uh, if you sign the, the sign-in sheet tonight and you put your email on there, I'll send you uh, the link for the article so you can go in depth. Uh, I think it's also got a link for their company so you can look. They don't have a lot of resources on their website, um, but really interesting stuff. So let's talk a little bit. Identifying and developing. Those are two separate things in a lot of ways, uh, leaders in your organization. So when I make decisions, I do think, so I'm thinking about the cognitive quotient thing. Mm -hmm. I, I do try to think about like, well, how you'll think, you know, how yeah. you'll think about the decision I'm making. How, so much so to the point that I can <laughs> freeze between two options. Yeah. So what do you say to somebody who maybe struggles with that? in the way that I do sometimes. Well, again, cognitive quotient comes back to how I implement what I know. And so if there's no implementation, that's where I would say, maybe, maybe there's not as much CQ, if that makes sense. Sure. And so that's where, uh, like, since I am your boss, I would say, um, I would rather you take a risk and make the wrong decision than take no risk well, it's still a risk, but make no decision and avoid risk. Um, and, and again, that's hard because we're like, uh, we wanna get it right, and we, wanna, we don't wanna hurt, we don't wanna disappoint, we wanna keep in line, all that kind of stuff. But I think generally speaking, I think the, a wrong, at least in our organization, the wrong decision done with the right motivation can be forgiven uh, more than inactivity can probably. So that's where I would just say, hey, the lesser of evils is to be wrong and be in action than to take no action. Does that make sense? Yep. So, and maybe if that's something, and not just for you, Todd, but if, if you struggle with that, because maybe, maybe you're like Todd and you've got, you've got a boss who's mean, um, <laughs> but maybe you've got a boss that's hard to work for and every time you mess up, they're gonna let you have it. Maybe you struggle with that, like, oh gosh, I've gotta get this right. Um, that's where I would keep reminding myself, okay, I've got to take action. We've got to move forward um, because it's, not, it's neither safe uh, nor risk-free for me not to make any decision. So, yeah. Thanks, Mel. Um, so what, what happens when you know 
the person you thought was somebody that was on the right track is proving themselves not to be? Like, what, what's a good path in, in terms of separating them from your org? <laughs> That's a good question. Anybody wanna field that one? Anybody wanna respond to Sean's question? Basically, when you, you've misidentified somebody, you thought they were a potential leader, and you recognize, for whatever reason, they are no longer a potential leader. Yeah, uh, oh, hold on one second. Hey, can we give the mic to Ronnie? I was thinking of putting my thoughts together whenever you said, does anybody want to field that question? Um, I never worked for him, but read the book, and I'm enrolled in his classes. Jack Welch is uh, winning, and what he said was, when you make that decision to hire somebody, or in this case, promote somebody and they're disappointing you, um, you have to treat that person with as much love and respect going out the door as you did when you brought them in. And so if you have to go and separate yourself from that person, they're not gonna achieve the type of goals that you want for the overall organization. You wanna think about their situation give them the opportunity to be looking for a job, give them as much, as much advance notice as possible that you can with, that your company can afford, and tell them, look, this isn't the place for you, but we wanna support you as you look for a new career path, and we're gonna be here you know, for, for a period of time, but we want you to do that as quick as possible. And I thought that was a very good advice from mm -hmm. Jack Welch whenever you're looking at employees and wanting to separate from somebody, so that's yeah. just my input. Can't go wrong with Jack Welch. I like me some Jack Welch, Neutron, Neutron Jack. Um, so I've, I've never regretted, um, let, me, let me see, how I, I wanna make sure I word this correctly. I've never regretted taking care of an employee on their way out the door. Like I've, I've always have tried to do better for them than I felt like they were doing for us. Uh, Cause I've said this before, the, um, the high road, it sucks, but at least there's no traffic. So like, like let's take the high road, let's over honor, let's over bless, let's over, right? Uh, to, to whatever degree is necessary. So I've never regretted that, but there's been several times that I've regretted not letting somebody go when, when I felt like I should. Um, and so I, I tell people, I mean, I, I talked to a pastor this last two weeks ago that we were talking and they were t telling me about a situation where they had hired somebody who they thought was here, but they were really here and they were paying them as if they were here. And, but what do I do? And I was like, well, can you move them over? And well, no, not really. Cause I can't afford them paying that. And I was like, you gotta release them. You gotta let them go. And I, I'm a firm believer in the old adage, you hire slow, you fire fast. Um, take longer than you think to hire somebody. Like when you think this is the right person, talk two more times with them to make sure. You know, like you wanna be beyond sure. And then the first second you're like, oh, I messed up, this is not the right person. Do exactly what Ronnie said. You've come up with a plan for them. Uh, I, I'm also a believer that um, nobody should be surprised when they get fired, that you should have had coaching conversations, talk, 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 and you've exhausted every option and this is the last option, I gotta let you go. Um, and at that point you, try to take care of them, you try to do what you can. Again, there's financial limitations, all that, but and if somebody's upset, they're still gonna trash you no matter what you do for them, and, but you just live with it. But the longer we put up with a bad employee or somebody who's not performing, 
are pulling their weight. The other employees see that. That's bad for morale. It's bad for performance. It's bad all around. So, yeah. And we had somebody up here I didn't see. Hey, this is kind of piggybacking off of Todd's question too, but if you're seeing the qualities in somebody or you want to work on the qualities in yourself as far as like the high emotional quotient mm-hmm. and everything else that we talked about, um, but the people in authority are kind of a ceiling for those people where they're going to squash that, how can we still foster and grow those qualities within ourselves or in those around us um, without bucking authority? Um... So without knowing your specific circumstance, I think most supervisors um, would respond to questions like, hey, I wanna get better, can you help me? Hey, what do you see in me that, you know, like those kind of questions, I think a lot of supervisors are open to that. Um, and so if you're, if, you're, if you're willing to take that risk, uh, I would say have those conversations. Because even if you feel like there's no room for me to advance in the organization, like I can't move up the flow chart, um, I'm telling you, if I'm, if I'm a boss and I've got an employee who's saying, hey, I wanna get better, tell me what I need to do differently. Hey, how am I doing in this area? What do I need to be doing here? If they're seeking that out, that's gonna tell me something about them. Um, and so I would probably be asking those questions. And if you're leading people, uh, a lot of organizations give at least a little bit of autonomy to departments to be able to have those kind of conversations. And so I think even if an, even if a an organization overall doesn't value development. Um, if a department can, and if you're over a department or you're over an area, I, I, I think I wouldn't let what the or- overall organization is doing or not doing deter me from going, hey, but we're gonna have the best team. I'm gonna develop my people. Even if I'm developing them out of my department, I'm developing my people um, the best way I can. And again, because it comes back to that idea, the highest capacity leaders are typically the ones that have the broadest mindset to say, hey, it's not just about my success, it's about, you know, so I think it's beneficial to do that. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and here's the thing. Um, you can't control what your boss does. You can't control what your husband does. You can't control what the people in your life do, but you can control what you do. And I tell, I tell people this all the time. The most important thing you can do is be the the best version of you possible because you're going to be a better mom and a better wife and a better everything if you're going, okay, God, I want to be better. I want to grow in my leadership. I want to grow my emotional quotient. I want to, you know, and so that's where I would be pursuing those kind of things, having conversations with mentors you trust. I mean, I know you and Cheryl are close, so I would be asking Cheryl some of those questions. Hey, what do you see in me that I need to shift or change? Because those are coaching questions. And um, so even if even if somebody like Cheryl doesn't see herself as that kind of role in your life to like coach you, you can ask her and she's gonna help you. Does that make sense? So yeah, I would be hitting that, that stuff up. That's good. Any online questions, Michael? Come on, online. Just kidding. How should a, a high them. performer balance his readiness to help others in a way that fosters independence and competence in his coworkers? So how do you, how do you uh, help people without them being dependent on you? Or maybe not help people. Like, yeah, if, if, if the circumstance is right where not helping them would be better because it would force them to learn and grow, like, where do you find the balance there? Yeah, anybody have any thoughts or feedback on that one? Good question. This half of the room's been very quiet so far, so 
Yeah. So as a nurse, a lot of times um, we're training up other nurses coming mm -hmm. up behind us, and you kind of have to learn and get your feet wet by getting thrown into the situation. But as soon as it becomes something that's going to be dangerous um, or something's going to happen or you know something that you know they're not going to learn on their own, then it's kind of our responsibility to step mm -hmm. up and tell them what it is that they need to know yeah. uh, to either not hurt somebody or just to be the best person that they can at that point. Yeah, that's, that's a good response. I think there's a few factors probably. I think part of it is what are the stakes? Um, you know, what are the stakes if this person doesn't do the job that they need to do? Um, and the smaller the stakes, the more latitude you can give them. Um, and their perception of danger is not is the same as real danger, if that makes sense. Like um, when I was a kid, uh, lived in Oklahoma, lots of lakes, and we were at a lake with our, our family, and I couldn't swim. I remember this. This was one of my earliest memories, and I was in a, a floaty ring floating in the water, and I was getting kind of far away from my mom, and I was like, she doesn't see me, and I'm going to float to the ocean, and a shark's going to get me because I'd seen a couple clips from Jaws, and I was like, I am going to die, and my mom doesn't even care. My, my perceived danger was much higher than my actual danger was, um, and... I think the same thing can be true with our teams. I think we can get them in situations where the perceived danger is high, but the actual danger is very low. Um, and I think that's important because that's the stuff that stretches us. Yeah, I think it might be useful for you to explain to people how, because you were talking about self-starters, explain to people how you've leveraged employee autonomy in your own organization to promote self-starters and to encourage self-starters. Because I think there's a world where people would say, oh, I really want to have self-starters working for me. But then those people are also micromanagers or they're, they don't allow for the autonomy for self-starting to happen. So could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Um, so I've never known a micromanager who thought they were a micromanager. Um, every micromanager I've ever known was like, oh no, I let our staff do. And it's like, no, you do not. You have no idea. So I don't think I am, but if I was a micromanager, I wouldn't know the difference. Like, this is all I know. So, um, and I, I think we tend to swing to one extreme or the other. And I would rather give too much autonomy than not enough autonomy. I would rather be burned because I let our staff have too much rope than not enough. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, attracts people who are higher capacity because they're attracted to, I want more, more latitude in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, you know? And so we kind of lay out, here's where we want to end up. Here's where we want to go. Here's some general goals, but you get to determine the pathway. You know, you get to determine how we get there. As long as we get there, that's my biggest thing. Uh, and then I try to stay out of their business as much as possible. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but I just... Yeah. You know, we, I default to the trust instead of mistrust. Like, I want to start with trust, and you have to earn mistrust. So I think those are things that help foster more independence and more autonomy. And, um, and I want to be available, but I also don't want, man, I don't want to be making decisions about things that ultimately are not moving our organization forward. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. And we do have a couple staff in the room. And you can disagree with me if you'd like. If you're like, nope, nope, you don't offer that much autonomy. I'm okay with that. I'm not gonna do anything in here. I'll talk to you tomorrow, but. <laughs> All right, here's a fun one. Um, 
what do you do when you bring on an excellent person and then that high performer's performance exposes the poor performance of the people who are already working there? Do you do anything or does, is it like, how do you handle that? Do you try to look for better people all around or do you just accept the fact that there were maybe some mistakes made in the hiring process previous to that person? Yes. <laughs> all of that probably. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, I believe that if you hire high capacity people, they will challenge people that maybe aren't as high capacity to grow their, to grow their capacity, to raise their game. Um, I think that's a good thing. Like, I, you know, there is a sense that there's some competition that's good among team, right? Like, like you excelling makes me want to excel too, hopefully. Um, and so there's part of that, but, um, and, and the reality is you're probably always doing that. If your organization is growing and, and getting better, you're gaining market share, whatever it is you measure, uh, you're probably, you probably have the ability to bring in higher capacity leaders. Um, and so that's gonna challenge people at different parts of the organization. Um, I mean, and we've talked about this before, I swing way out of our league, uh, you know, for staff. And that's why, you know, I've talked to Todd about it before. Todd was my first pastoral hire and he left a much bigger church, a much better salary to come here. Like I swung for the fences and I connected, right? Um, and so that's awesome. But typically what happens is we're hiring people at the level of our organization. And then as the organization grows, if those people aren't growing, then they're stuck, right? So by default, we're bringing in people that tend to have a higher ceiling down the road. Does that make sense? So it's a problem we're stuck with to some degree. Yeah, it seems like it's in conflict with the principle of honoring seniority. And so I'm kind of curious mm -hmm. how you would, like, what do you think as a hiring manager, what's the best way to view seniority? Because I think it's tempting for oh. managers to say, okay, well, this person's been here a really long time. I have to make them the captain of this team, even if someone had come on that was a no. better choice. Okay. You guys have all worked in organizations like that where it's like, oh, they've been here the longest. So, you know, last hired, first fired, that kind of stuff. Uh, and that, I just feel like that's bad leadership. I feel like that's people wanting to avoid hard conversations. Like, well, Johnson's been here for 20 years. We can't tell him he didn't get the promotion. Well, it's just because you're unwilling to say you didn't do the job. You didn't do the work. So you don't deserve it. I'm sorry you're being bypassed for this role, but... You, you didn't deserve it just because, well, it goes back to what I said earlier. Sometimes we staff for faithfulness. Well, this person's been here forever, so they get the role. It's like, how demoralizing is that? You know, and in a company when it's like, I've been working my rear end off and this person has been doing nothing and they got the promotion and I didn't. So what happens is now my production's gonna go down because what difference does it make if I am a high performer or not? I'm still not gonna get promoted. So it's just bad for the organization when you can't be honest with people and go, hey, I need you to raise your game. And if you can't raise your game, then this is where you're gonna be stuck at. I love you and you're doing a good job here. But if you wanna be here, here's what needs to change. Does that make sense? Yeah, that kind of leadership frustrates me. Always wanted to recommend another book to piggyback on this one. Uh, Pat Lencioni has one, Humble, Hungry, and Smart Ideal Team Player. Really plays well off the yep. same framework. His, his, uh, his humble would be like your emotional quotient. Mm -hmm. His hungry would be the drive quotient. Smart would be cognitive quotient. It's an easy read and, um, yeah, ideal team player. And I'm 99% I'm positive 
that he's worked with them on stuff. Like they've worked together on- I, I did Google it real quick. They have a number of interviews that they've done yeah. together and, yeah. and, and kind of benchmark this. So that's a be a good read for anybody who likes this yeah. one. Ideal team player. So we've got a few minutes left. Any other questions? So in the current economy where it's really hard to get employees, what do you do when you're trying to fill like five positions but you cannot find qualified candidates and <laughs> you need the staff to get stuff done? Yeah. So what do you do when you have to settle? Yeah, it stinks. Uh, I would not let that, well, so let me back up. You might have to settle sometimes. Um, I would not drop my expectations. I would not drop my, um, my challenging, my coaching. I would still treat them, if they're a five, I would still treat them like they're an eight. Like I would treat them the way I, I hope they, um, I would treat them, coach them into what I want them to become, basically. Um, that's the first thing. Um, but I would still, I would still, uh, I wouldn't be afraid to go after people of higher capacity, even if they're in a different, uh, salary range, because I know sometimes we're like, Hey, here's what we can afford, especially if income revenues down, like, okay, we can afford this range and this person's going to fall outside the range. So I'm not going to bother with an interview. I would bother with the interview and cast huge vision. And I would, I would rather swing and miss on really high capacity people than get every single low capacity person I ask. And sometimes you're gonna be stuck with people that are a little lower, but that's where you can find some diamonds in the rough if you're doing these kind of things, not just looking at performance, not just looking at you know, where they go to school. You know, if you're able to look past some of that and go, hey, you know what, this person, I see some intangibles in them. They just haven't had the right opportunity. This is gonna be the right opportunity. That's where, um, have you ever seen Moneyball? Okay, um, that's where, you know, Billy Bean talks about, hey, we're card counters at the table. That's where, that's an advantage you gotta have where it's like, okay, what's our strategic advantage? Well, we're gonna see people differently, value talent differently. That might be something that I would try to do is go, okay, what, what can I see that other people don't just by looking at this resume and going, okay. This is where they went to school. This is what they've accomplished. I don't know. Even with all that, you might be stuck with some, some fours. And you do your best with your fours. Sorry if that's disappointing. Got a couple more minutes. All the way from Arkansas. <laughs> hey, I was just thinking about the difference between kingdom culture and business culture. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if there are like fundamental differences. And if so, like how we can navigate those as believers. Yeah. Um, I'm looking over here at Todd. I mean, is that something you would want to answer or give some feedback on? I mean, I'm throwing you under the, under the bus here, putting you on the spot. Um, so here's the thing. It's, there is some overlap between kingdom culture and, and corporate culture. Uh, there are some things that churches don't do well because they're trying to avoid corporate culture, but they need to embrace some of it. Because there are some churches that are like, hey, we do things, and um, they wouldn't say sloppy, but they're sloppy because they're like, oh, we're not corporate. But it's like, no, you're just not doing things with excellence. <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with doing things with excellence. Um, but there's a line that we have to draw where it's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about profits like it is in the corporate world. 
uh, we're dealing with real human beings. And, and that's got to be the dominant idea that people are first. You know, this, our staff, you know, are, they're first to me. You know, it's not just about your performance. It's about, man, I love you as a person. Like, I'm your pastor, not just your boss. You know, some of those kind of things. And in the corporate world, obviously, it's just not like that. Um, I've never sat down in my world work, in my life working in the corporate world. I've never had a boss sit down with me and be like, man, I really care about you and your family. And, you know, maybe they did a little bit, but they really cared about what were my numbers at the end of the month, you know? Um, and so I think that's probably the biggest thing for me. You have anything to add? All right. EQ. Uh, dealing with a company here uh, in my work life, and I kind of watch the CEO of that organization and how they operate, and I'm kind of curious. You, you mentioned that you, you want to give latitude. Um, you're like giving them unending trust until they destroy their trust mm-hmm. inside the organization. Are you a recluse leader, meaning during the day-to-day operations? Of course, we see you here on a Sunday or a Saturday yeah. night. You're out in front of it. You're the face of it. Yeah. But behind the scenes, are you in an office here throughout the week and yeah. very seldom see the staff? Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm around the office. I'm here. Um, and the staff dictate how much, like, they get to decide. I'm not coming in there. I mean, I'll do a walk around in the morning. Just, hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Good? Yeah, okay. But it's like, it's like, that's mayor stuff. Like, I'm, if that makes sense, I'm, it, I'm shaking it, hands and talking to people. But as far as they're, what they're doing, I give them the autonomy to do their job without coming to me and checking or. Is that an important part of your day that morning? Does it start off with seeing key members of your staff saying hello? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, a lot of times. See what's going on. Yeah, a right? lot of times. Yeah. And so, the reason I ask, because I'm dealing with a company that the, let's say it's a sheet metal fab shop, right? And they hired this CEO. He comes to work every single day in a blazer. He goes from in, out of his car into his office, out of his yeah. office, goes see the girl that works for him, back to his office, maybe goes to the cafeteria, the bathroom. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I look at an organization as a leader, you're wanting to promote all of your staff, that Mm -hmm. you are setting the strategy and the vision and you're living and breathing it. And you want to pass that along to them on a daily basis. Like you want to pump that staff up, everything from the guy who's running a grinder in the back, maybe not every day, Mm -hmm. but you know, certainly once a week or something that he sees you coming back through in each one of the processes that he's concerned or she's concerned about what is going on in the state of the organization. And I think that's part of the EQ part Mm -hmm. that, you know, how you act, and how are you aware of the staff that works for you? Yeah, well, and it's, it, it, one of the things we talked about was like leveraging the emotional um, equity I have for the good of the organization. And that's what, honestly, that's what you do because people will work for you for a paycheck, but they will, they will fight for you if you love them, right? Um, and so like, I don't want people just to collect a paycheck. Um, like what we're doing is too important. And so I want them to know, man, I love you. I care about you. Like, I know, I know your kids' names and I'm, I know what your kids are up to. Like, hey, how was, you know, like we want to have those conversations because it's not just about, hey, we've got a job to do. It's, it's, hey, we get to do this together. And it's what you said. It's building culture. It's building camaraderie. It's, yeah. 
Yeah. But in an organization that's kind of small with 120 employees, it's a pretty fine line. Yeah. After a year, you should pretty well know most of those people. They're coming and going yeah. because they are really creating shareholder value at the mm -hmm. end of the day. That yeah. staff is really what's making that happen. Absolutely. And I, I tell um, one of the most important things I do as the pastor of this church is hire staff because our staff are the ones that are setting the culture for our organization. Um, so the right staff are helping us build the right culture. The wrong staff are helping us build the wrong culture. So that's huge. Um, but that's also, I mean, you guys attend church here. Like that's why I'm in the lobby before and after service is because like my, the time I talk to somebody in the lobby is in a lot of ways more important than what I say on stage. I spend two minutes in the lobby talking to somebody. They're gonna remember that. They're not gonna remember the 30 or 40 minutes I spent preaching or, or 50, depending on what I'm preaching. Um, and so it's like, I talk to pastors all the time that do that. They roll in during worship. Even churches, 80 or 100 people, they'll come in during worship. They'll walk out when they're done preaching. And it's like, hey, because you haven't developed a relationship, what you're doing on stage isn't valuable now. It's not as important or impactful. So yeah, all that plays in together. Hey, listen, it is 8.04. We try to stay on a tight time frame to uh, honor your time. And so if you guys wanna stick around and chat a little bit, uh, we can. I'll be available if you wanna talk some, I'd be delighted. And for those of you watching online, thanks for joining us. Let me pray and we'll get out of here. God, thanks so much for this uh, conversation we had. I pray that you give us eyes to see people that we can raise up um, in our homes, in our departments, in our workplaces, uh, in our schools that we can invest in, that we can speak life into, uh, that we can help develop into uh, the next leaders that our, that our organizations need. So God, I pray that you give us those eyes to see and give us the heart to develop people, not just ourselves. I pray that you be glorified in your name. Amen.